Heads up, small business leaders, you're listening to My Quest for the Best, where published experts share relevant stories for inspiration and tools for transformation to unlock your growth potential. We release a new episode every week to help you navigate your managing and leadership challenges, so subscribe to stay up to date. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and more for your convenience. Let's dive into this week's episode. Hi, this is Dr. Nicole Kelly, and I'm the author of Charming Cheaters. You're listening to My Quest for the Best. What you're about to hear in this episode is nothing less than a story of warning and of refusal to accept being a victim despite being bullied and swindled out of more than $800,000 by an employee. My next guest, Dr. Nicole Kelly, author of Charming Cheaters, has a lot to share. Pay attention because the risks to you, your people, and your business might be much closer than you think. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, this is Bill Ringel, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock their growth potential. Joining me today is Nicole Kelly. Nicole Kelly is a board-certified physician in Nashville, Tennessee, who was victimized by a sociopath, who also turned out to be a sociopathic sex addict and embezzled over $700,000 from her medical practice. Using her ability to explain complicated medical concepts, Dr. Kelly makes clear One of the most important truths of our time, not everyone thinks like you do, and to assume otherwise is dangerous. She's here to talk about her book, Charming Cheaters, Protect Yourself from the Sociopaths, Psychopaths, and Sexopaths in Your Life. Welcome, Nicole. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Good to have you. Tell me, when you were growing up, who's someone who influenced or inspired you? I would have to say it was my drama teacher, Shaq Mandusen. So I was a very shy, nerdy kid who had never been on stage before. And he forced me to go on stage and find my voice. And I actually think it's because of a lot of what he has taught me that I am now not freaking out as I talk to you right here, right now. Isn't that amazing what an influence a good teacher has when they give confidence and encouragement to young children And what a lasting impact that has. Absolutely. So, Nicole, we're going to talk about a lot of interesting topics here today that people often don't talk about with so much frankness and directness. Why don't we start by just telling me about the character, Nashville Kitty, who's a fictionalized character based on a real person, and what happened in your life and business when she worked for you? Absolutely. So I am a small business owner with my own medical practice. I had multiple nurse practitioners working for me and nurses working for me. And my favorite part of medical practice is talking to the patients and talking to the families. And to be quite honest, the business side has never really interested me. I had a nurse who worked for me who was very charismatic. And she had a bunch of groupies who followed her around like puppy dogs. And she could sell ice to an Eskimo. She was so charming. And she convinced me that uh, the billing company I was using was a complete waste of money and that she knew how to take my company to the next level. She was going to save me all this money if she were able to take over the business side of my medical practice. And I was hesitant at first. I should have listened to my gut, but she was very persistent, very convincing, and I believed her. So I turned over my trust to her and let her take over the business side of my medical practice and discovered several years later that she had embezzled over $700,000 from my medical practice. Wow. Yeah, very disheartening and 
definitely, you know, partially my fault that I did not keep an eye on her and that I gave her my trust. It was actually after discovering her betrayal that I started thinking back on all the lies, all the misrepresentations that she had given through the years that I started to realize that her brain does not function like everybody else's, that she doesn't think like the rest of us do, that she's lacking empathy, that she's lacking a conscience. Now, in medical school, we learned all about psychopaths. So we learned about the psychopaths who have tattooed letters on their hands, who torture little animals, who set fires, who 20% of the prison population is made up of psychopaths. And that was what we mainly focused on in medical school. But the mostly nonviolent, more often intelligent sociopaths who are better able to wear a mask and fit into society, are often rising in positions of power in business, in politics, in religion. That set was not really focused upon. But the more I studied, the more I realized that this nurse who embezzled all this money from my company was a sociopath. So over what period of time did she work on convincing you to turn over control of the business? It was probably less than a year. But um, she kept bringing me numbers and showing me facts and figures and promising me how she was going to take everything to the next level if I just give her control. And then what was it that allowed you to suddenly realize that things weren't as they should be? And it, it started to open your eyes as a warning signal. Well, when I had multiple different positions and different facilities where I worked, one of them, the contract was ending and I wanted to look at the finances to find out how we were going to continue you know, the company. And she was very resistant, did not want me to have access to my own company's books, which in of itself is a huge red flag. And I, I should have been more diligent before that. But when I did finally get access, realized that she had been embezzling hundreds of thousands of dollars, that she had been paying uh, herself, her sister, her lovers were all on my payroll and I was paying them. And when you confronted her, what was her response? So one thing sociopaths do is never, ever their fault. And they will lie to cover up more lies. So she basically attempted to turn the tables. It was somehow my fault. She was the victim. She had helped me through all this. And basically, it just didn't make any sense. I mean, the numbers were the numbers. She embezzled. That's it. But she continued to lie and continued to play the victim role, which is often what sociopaths will do. They'll play the pity card because if you feel sorry for them, it's harder to be angry with them. Then one of the keys that you're dealing with a sociopath is in the next minute, they're back to acting superior because all sociopaths are narcissists. Not all narcissists are sociopaths, but sociopaths believe they are superior to everyone else. So one of the other um, aspects of that that I want to draw out is that someone who's a sociopath typically tries to assert, distort, impose their reality on others. Is that another symbol or, or signal or trait that you would identify? Yes. Uh, they tell so many lies that they almost seem to believe their lies. And then when you don't believe their lies, they get angry with you because you don't believe. It's on the line of delusional how many lies they can make up to cover their lies. Yeah, that's interesting. So this happened in your business. You confronted her. She denied it. She added lies on top of lies. How did you get out from this horrible situation? 
Well, I mean, I did what any sane person would do and fired her. I mean, then I tried to sue her. How long did it take you from the time you confronted her to the time you decided, oh, you know what, this is not going to work until I actually release her, fire her? It was less than a month. When, once I saw the books, I realized she had conned me, that I had been duped, I had been played the fool, and this woman had to go. Good. Good for you for sticking up for yourself that way. And then what steps did you have to take to remedy the situation and what resulted? So the lawsuit, my attorneys told me I had an extremely strong case. They believed that I would indeed win in the end, but that it could take up to two years to get to the end of a case like this, that she would have already spent all the money. She would declare bankruptcy and I would basically have a hollow victory, nothing to show for it except for a six-figure legal bill. So I decided to write a book instead. Well, that's a pretty big step. When you decided to write a book, what meaning did you give to writing a book that would help justify and let you come out of this feeling satisfied? I mean, it's a terrible thing to have happened to you. I just cringe thinking that that happened, yet you were able to turn it around. What did you do in order to make this work for you so that it led to a better result than developing another big legal bill and still not getting paid back from this woman who dealt in injustice. Exactly. I mean, I, I felt like if this can happen to a board certified physician who's had you know, over 20 years of education and has actually been trained on sociopaths and psychopaths, then this could happen to anyone. And the more I studied, I mean, it, at least one in 25 people fall on the sociopath spectrum. That means that most of us run into one every single day. That means that, you know, a lot of us have them working for us in our companies. That means that we are just not aware of these hidden predators who are among us. And it became a mission to me to help others not experience the same betrayal and pain and devastation, because it brought me to the brink of bankruptcy, that I experienced because of this sociopath. So help me make some distinctions between the sociopath, the psychopath, and the sexopath, which was a new term that I came across in your book. There appears to be a spectrum. So there's a genetic component and an environmental component, as there often is in medical conditions. So people who are on the sociopath spectrum, which goes from sociopath to psychopath, so kind of manipulator to monster, and these people are born with the genes to have no empathy, no conscience. Some say that depending on the environment, whether there's physical abuse, nutritional deficiencies, some even say just Western society, determines how much these genes are expressed. So whether they're more on the sociopathic side or the psychopathic side. And although not universal, oftentimes sociopaths have higher IQs and better impulse control and therefore better able to blend into society wearing the mask for a different personality for every different group that they come up to. So sexopaths are, is actually my term for a sociopath or a psychopath with a sex addiction. And it's my belief that this is the medical condition behind many of the perpetrators of the Me Too movement. It's something that we're not talking about, we're focusing in all these different things, but we're not looking at this personality type as potentially the cause of why many of these men treat women as objects because they don't have empathy or a conscience. And before we get into the next topic or level of conversation, we're talking about these traits and these characteristics. And just because someone relates or can see behavior that matches something we're describing, that doesn't necessarily 
categorize a person as a sociopath or psychopath, does it? Help us understand what the level of standard is for that so people under, listening to this understand we're giving guidelines and insights, not necessarily prescriptions or diagnoses. Exactly. I mean, just because someone is a jerk doesn't mean they're necessarily a sociopath or a psychopath. In fact, the average person can't make that diagnosis or even truly give that label. And really, it's not about labels. I mean, it, it takes psychiatrists six to eight hours of interview and record review to actually make a diagnosis of a psychopath. So, I mean, obviously, we don't have the specialized training to do that. Um, I've actually taken that course, but you have to meet someone and go through that process to actually make that diagnosis. But my message is, it doesn't matter. We don't need to label someone. We don't need to figure out sociopath versus psychopath. It doesn't matter. If somebody has multiple character traits found on, I have a spotting tool that's free on my website, NicoleKellyMD.com. If they have multiple character traits, that's enough for us to take pause. That's enough for us to not give them our full trust like I did. I mean, not let them take over the books. That means that, you know, in order for us to give someone our full trust, they need to earn it. And sociopaths and psychopaths are known for being impatient. They're going to pressure you into doing things that you're not ready for, that aren't in your best interest. And that's where we need to take pause. So my goal is not to get everyone with clipboards and pointing fingers and witch hunt. The whole point of this is for us to understand these people do not think like we do. And it's so hard for us to get it because we can't turn our empathy and conscience off. If we even think about hurting someone, we feel guilty about it. They don't do that. And just even imagining people who don't do that is difficult. But that's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping for the empathetic majority to understand there are people unlike us all around us and how we interact with them has to be different in order to change our world. So as you think about all that you've learned since this occurred, it's been a great education for you. What would you encourage people to look for in business relationships in order to start to assess whether they're feeling intimidated by a, per a certain person, when it might be necessary to draw boundaries or reassert rules somehow, or to, to confront people if they're not telling the truth? Exactly, because that's one of the biggest clues in figuring out who a sociopath in a workplace environment is, is the inconsistencies, inconsistencies and lies. So sociopaths often feel that they are superior and their work is incredible and they are the greatest and they will convince their higher ups that that's the truth. But in reality, they often are very sloppy. They really like to take credit and not do the work. And these are some of the clues that often people who work with other sociopaths recognize them recognize them as the troublemaker. They like to split groups. They like to get one group of people angry with another group of people just for fun. They enjoy seeing what they can do in the workplace environment just to stir up trouble because having no empathy, that's how they get their thrills. I mean, for them, it's all a game and people are just pawns to be manipulated for their own personal benefit. It's interesting, as you were describing um, how the lies and inconsistencies come about and how people who are sociopaths don't think like other people think. I received an invite on LinkedIn recently, and somebody in their message said to me, I'm a sincere, genuine, and very empathic individual. And I thought to myself, why would they tell me that 
in a first message. It seemed like they were overcompensating. And it's something that I want someone to show, not necessarily to tell. That is such a great point. Isn't that something that kind of stands out to you too? Absolutely. That was one of the things that the real Nashville Kitty kept saying to me. She kept telling me what a loyal friend she is. She is more loyal to me than anyone else. But you know what? A real loyal friend doesn't have to keep telling you how loyal they are. They show it. That's right. So that's an important factor. Make sure people are showing their best qualities, not necessarily telling or, or promoting them, because that kind of puts the hairs up on the back of my neck saying, you know, why are they telling rather than showing? Exactly. So let's talk for a moment about how these traits can help with recruiting or more specifically screening out candidates. Say that you're helping someone interview for a senior manager and the stakes are high. What's a a fair set of questions that might elicit a response that could be a warning signal or something to probe further? It is quite difficult on the initial interviewing period to spot the sociopath because they are going to have their mask firmly applied. They are going to have all the right answers. They are going to seem like they are going to come in and fix everything. One of the best recommendations I can give to you is to get references. And if you can, if you know anybody in the company that they worked in, don't just talk to the ones they listed. Talk to the ones they didn't list. Find out who really knew them and how they really were, because that will give you an insight into how their character truly is. And if people started to talk in ways that seem more like bragging than recounting experiences, or if there seemed to be a whole lot of credit claiming that seemed to be beyond what their scope of responsibility was, aren't those also more subtle signals? Yes, those are definitely subtle signals. But I mean, they're also the sort of things that are going to make you think, if you believe them, that that would make them a good employee. Also, I mean, in the trial period, the first 90 days, that's a very good time to ask your other employees, the ones who have been with you, that you trust, that you know what they're about, ask them to give you details of inconsistencies, of lies, how their work truly is. I mean, oftentimes they still have a charming mask in the beginning, but ask the people who work with them one-on-one if they notice anything you need to be aware of. That's a great point. There are people in my group, or even perhaps the person I report to, is exhibiting a lot of these characteristics. What are some steps they could take to better understand and protect themselves and the company? So, especially if you have, I mean, sociopaths are attracted to positions of power. They aren't necessarily good at them, but they believe they are. One thing you should always do is document, document, document. So if the person is being verbally abusive, if you catch them in a lie, you need to write it down because the more evidence you collect, the more likely you are to make sure the sociopath causes no further harm. Another thing, too, is to talk to each other. So, you know, we are the empathetic majority. There are more of us than there are of them. If we catch people in a lie, if we catch people in inconsistencies, you don't want to call them out on it right in front of everybody. At least talk to each other. At least compare facts. And oftentimes we have this sense of we need to be polite. And in the effort to be polite, we're letting the sociopath take advantage of us. That's an important point. And to be able to stand up for one's own sense of what's right and wrong and what's acceptable and what's unacceptable goes beyond, like you were saying, the Me Too movement. If someone's putting you in a position that makes you uncomfortable, to be able to stand up and say, you know, excuse me, I just need to go somewhere. I need to talk to someone and just get yourself out of a situation that does not feel right. 
Exactly. And keep in mind that oftentimes confronting the sociopath may not be in your best interest. They can be very vengeful. I mean, I've seen it happen in business situations where a sociopath targets one individual and gets them fired. And it, it becomes a game for them that if you spoke out against them, they're going to get you. Yeah, that becomes their goal. Yes. And because they're not worrying about empathy and, you know, whether they've done enough with their family or their friends, if people like them, if the things that the rest of us are worried about, they have more time to devote to ruining your career. So a phrase that I've read in the book that I thought was interesting, you write about neurotypical people, which I like also the phrase empathetic majority. Tell me, is that a phrase that's in popular usage, neurotypical? So neurotypical is actually used a lot in the autistic community. Um, which is very interesting, just the comparison of autistic versus sociopathic you know, slash psychopathic, because many accuse autistic people of not having empathy. But this is actually an interesting point, which is there are two components of empathy. There's recognizing what another person is feeling, which actually sociopaths are fantastic at recognizing what another person is feeling. Then there's the second component of empathy, which is feeling what another person is feeling. And the sociopaths never get to the feeling what another person is feeling. Autistic people are very, very bad at recognizing what another person is feeling. They miss the social cues entirely. Once they do understand what another person is feeling, they often actually feel it deeper. So it's actually kind of an interesting point in the difference in empathy between autistic and sociopathic. Nicole, are you ready for the my quest for the best lightning round? All right, bring it on. Great. So share with me one or two of the key components of your routine for daily success. Well, I have actually recently read Jack Canfield's book, The Success Principles, and he has the rule of five. So the night before, I make a list of five things I'm going to do for the next day. And then on that day, I do them and make a list of five new things for the next. What's the easiest or least expensive change you've made in your personal professional life in the last six months that's had the biggest payoff? Um, probably having less employees. After all of this happened, my business kind of went to the brink of bankruptcy. Everything kind of dissolved. And now my company is very small and I know absolutely everything that is going on. Do you have a tool or system you use for staying on track and productive? Um, the rule of five. I mean, keeping track of what I want to do, what my goals are, and, and also having goals in different areas of my life financial, personal, health, what my goals are in each area. Terrific. So what's the best course of action for someone who is working with someone and they, they don't have the power to get out of a group that someone is exhibiting some of these tools or traits? And you said earlier that documentation is really important and talking amongst ourselves is very important. What else can be done to resolve it and if you know of any examples of where this has happened, where a per, an employee has been able to speak up about this and have a, a successful resolution that protects the productive employees and the company. Actually, I have a personal example that happened not long ago at one of the places where I worked, where the person in charge of the Nashville division was a sociopath. And using the advice in my book, the empathetic people all came together and basically exposed her lies. Interestingly, and this tends to be what seems to happen in most companies, it took 
a very long time, almost four months for action to actually happen and for her to be removed. And in that time, multiple employees quit and careers were ruined in the meantime. Unfortunately, in a business situation, oftentimes the sociopath just goes on to another company to start their destruction somewhere else because the company doesn't want to be embarrassed by the havoc their employee caused. And once you you made that happen, I mean, it's terrible that it caused that much destruction to the company. And imagining, but I'm pretty sure that it caused not only destruction between the people who work there, but also impacted negatively the reputation of the company, the finances of the company, its ability to track strong employees. In so many levels, it really harms all stakeholders involved. Yes. Because referral sources were affected, patient care was affected. I mean, most importantly, the families didn't get what they needed, and it was all because of the sociopath's games in, you know, getting thrills out of manipulating and controlling others. Well, like you say, it's a, a one in 25 people in the general population are affected by this. So it, chances are that people listening know, work with, or have worked with someone who's on that sociopathic scale. Yes, it, it's a sad, disturbing fact. But the sooner that we realize that, I mean, the sooner we can take our power back and make our world a better place. Well, I'm so happy that you were able to transform this negative experience into your mission to help educate others about this situation and make it something very understandable. Your book, Charming Cheaters, Protect Yourself from the Sociopaths, Psychopaths, and Sexopaths in Your Life, really brings us home in a way that's not at all dry. It was really interesting. Also with the cartoons in there, I thought that was very a nice touch. I wanna to thank you for sharing so many great ideas and useful information on this episode of My Quest for the Best. How you talked about sociopaths are attracted to positions of power and we find them in business, politics, and religion, that one of the things that's true is that no errors or mistakes are ever their fault, that they lie to cover their lies. And what really matters is that when you discovered that your books were wrong, those numbers didn't lie, that it's important that this could happen to anyone. It's a situation where they really have that inclination to force trust where it's not earned. Yet, as we work with many, many people in our jobs and with among our customer base, that just because someone's a jerk doesn't make them a psychopath. There's actually medical terminologies and classifications and criteria that have to be met in order to achieve that categorization. But at the same time, once we've identified a couple of those sexopath spotting tool traits, it's easy enough to start implementing some of the advice that you give to protect ourselves. So for all of these reasons, Nicole, thank you so much for joining me on my quest for the best. Thank you. Nicole, where can we find out more about you and your work? If you go to my website, NicoleKellyMD.com, I actually am offering um, a copy of my novel for free for anyone who purchases Charming Cheaters, and we can also continue the discussion. So. Thank you once again. I appreciate all that you've contributed. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on my quest for the best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. 
When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on My Quest for the Best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.